I have a friend, I have a friend who has studied Buddhism and she practices meditation. She does it really well. And uh, she's well read, she's well educated, and she's got a winsome personality to boot. I love hanging out with her. She's like, you know, oh, sunshine, you know, okay? She's convinced, however, that all religions are kind of basically the same and that everybody kind of ends up in the same place when they die, or the death is the great equalizer. Only she believes in uh, reincarnation, so she's always telling me, Max, that sharp tongue of yours, you're coming back as a dog. You know, that's her contention. I'm going to have to keep coming back until, until I contain my tongue. And then, then finally I'll get to go on. But she's, she's not alone in some of the basic things that she kind of holds to be true about the universe. Namely, that you and I live in a world that affirms that all religions are kind of basically the same and that everybody's kind of basically good. As long, you know, and, and even the bad apples, it's if you just understood their childhood or if you just could, you know... You know, you, you'd understand there's some good in there. And so that's kind of what pervades our culture. The funny thing is, all that goodwill, all that holding hands, and we're all kind of the same, and we're all going to end up in the same place, all of that evaporates when you bring up the Bible, doesn't it? It just goes, and all of a sudden the guns and knives come out. <laughs> okay? The Bible, we're told, is full of errors and contradictions. The Bible, we're told, well, that's been disproven by science, as if the two things are somehow opposite. <laughs> um, we live in an age, especially in the United States and in the West, where the Bible is dismissed. It's dismissed as being uh, portraying a hateful, vengeful God. It's dismissed because it's full of bigoted people. It's dismissed because it's backwards, it's untrue, it's myth. And if you don't believe me, just go to college. Just go to college. It's the American experience now. You go off to college and you kind of did youth group and you show up in your basic humanities class and the prof spends the first several weeks, you know. How many of you believe the Bible's true and by the fourth week no one will raise their hand, <laughs> you know. Because they're they're, they've got to be in their bonnet to kind of debunk the Bible and to show you that somehow this isn't credible, this isn't trustworthy. And for those of you in middle school and high school, I'm telling you, this is coming down the road. So just remember this day, remember the day that Max was foaming at the mouth about the credibility of the Bible. Here's the thing. This, this is not a science textbook. It's not, okay? The Bible does not do things like the atmosphere of the earth is made up of three atoms of chromium. Wrong! Therefore, the Bible's not true. We know the atmosphere is not made of chromium. Oh! Okay, you know, the Bible's not a science textbook. The Bible's not even a book. It's actually 66 books penned by 40 different authors over a thousand plus years of human history. The Bible is telling us part of God's story. The Bible is telling us our story. And the Bible's telling us how we can know God. And I want to say to you today that the Bible is credible. This thing, this collection of texts is credible, especially with what it records about history. It's historically accurate. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Jesus, all that stuff about those people aren't just stories. There aren't just legends. It isn't just myth. These are actual events. And I want to make a case for that today because it's important. All right, so why is it that some people have this bias against the Bible as opposed to other ancient texts? Well, in part because 
let's be honest, there's some funky weird stuff that is recorded in here. Come on. The de dead people come back to life? What? Somebody steps into the river and the river flow stops? What? I mean, when was the last time you stepped into a river and it parted? When was the last time grandma came back from the dead three days later? Okay? Creepy, isn't it? No. See, there's, we, that stuff, you know, it's not part of my experience. So it's, they have a bias against supernatural. And because there's supernatural, unexplainable kind of stuff recorded in here, they go, well, all of this stuff, you know, it's story, it's myth, you know. We know that dead people don't come back to life. We know that rivers don't just magically part. There, ergo, this is just a collection of, you know, woo, people tripped out on heroin stuff. And, and the bias is there. Here's how this plays out. The Gallic Wars were something that were fought in Rome around 50 BC, okay? Julius Caesar hired a guy to write a history of the Roman Empire up to that point. Today, we have 10 copies of that, 10 copies. And we only have half of what he wrote, okay? The oldest copy we have was written in 900 AD, a thousand years after the event. Trust me, when you go to history class, no one is going, well, you know, now this stuff from Tacitus, you know, you can't believe that. That's just bunk. Well, now in part, because Tacitus doesn't claim that dead people came back to life <laughs> and that rivers didn't magically part. So, well, that, that must be okay. We can, we can take that to the bank. Um, or take Homer's Iliad. Uh, Homer uh, wrote this poem. You maybe, are you still forced to read that in high school, by the way? Amen. In the words of the Muppets, it's good literature. Okay? Uh, so, Homer's Iliad, the oldest copy we have of the Iliad, was copied 500 years after Homer wrote it. And we only have 600 copies of it total. Do you know how many copies we have, manuscripts of just the New Testament? Do you know how many? Over 24,000 of them. 24,000 manuscripts. We have exact copies of word for word what's in your Bible that date back to 250 AD. We have individual gospels that you can go all the way back to 125 AD. We have pieces that go back just 25 years after they were written. Okay? Did you know that the, the New Testament has a 99.6 accuracy when it comes to the documents, so that's according to Bruce Metzger, who did kind of like a study. So I'm saying, what I want to say to you is that when the Bible says something happened, I want you to accept the possibility that it happened, just like it's recorded in these texts. One of the reasons I insist on that is because of archaeology. I love archaeologists and some of the scholars that work in ar archaeology, because for a long time there was this kind of bias toward the believing evangelical type scholars. And it was like, well, you know, this stuff in the Old Testament and crossing the Red Sea and David having this big empire and all that stuff, that's just made up myth. And we know that, you know, and so here's the funny thing about archaeology over the past hundred years. Every time archaeologists have made a, uh, made a discovery, it's affirmed the biblical record. It's been consistent with the biblical record every time. And so what happens is they do the backpedal thing. Well, you know, now, now just because we found dot, 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 doesn't mean, let me give you some examples. <clears throat> For years and years and years, the only time the Hittites 
the only re- record of the Hittites was in the Bible. There was no other ancient text or documents that referred to the Hittites. So for the longest time, scholars, rightly, <laughs> concluded, well, the Hittites were made up. They weren't really a real people, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden we discovered their capital in what, what is modern-day Turkey. And then it was like, oh, well, you know, now just because they exist, you know, uh, instance after instance, um, there was no Assyrian king Sargon listed in the Assyrian texts. And of course, the Bible refers to Sargon, and it's an important part of one of the stories that happens in 1st Second Kings. Well, we found an inscription with the king's name on it on a tablet in uh, Korsabad, Iraq. Um, I could, David, and, uh, David and Solomon, this big kind of grand time for Israel. Um, for the longest time, scholars would say stuff like, well, that's a myth. That's just Israelites because they were a two-bit second-rate nation and always the little guy. They made up this story about this Davidic age that was like this golden kingdom, but it never really happened, and Israel never really extended beyond Jerusalem, and da-da-da. And now they're discovering stuff like cities way out from Jerusalem, and there's no pig bones, and there's Jewish stuff there, and they're like, well, now, you know. So, again, I simply, one of the reasons that I believe the history that's recorded in there is because as archaeology comes along, there's no major discovery that goes, eh, untrue, eh, biblical record wrong. Archaeology continues to affirm the biblical record. So, when it comes to history, let me plant a seed. History is not about proving something. Science is about proving something. History is in the realm of what is probable. Let me say that again. So I'm basically doing a college class now for you, so back the truck up. When it comes to science, when it comes to proving something, that's what science does. And I can prove something because I can repeat it in controlled conditions, and it happens again exactly the same way. Therefore, this is describing something that's real and true. Science deals in that realm. Repeatable, provable stuff. History's not that way, though. History's a little different. History delves in the realm of what, what was possible, what possibly happened, to what probably happened. And what probably happened is what historians tend to write as what happened. Um, in recent years, Dan Brown's written some books about Jesus, and it's gotten a lot of people all geeked out and stuff. Um, I've got some relatives that are totally into Dan Brown. And what I love about this is... Um, he bases stuff on like the Gospel of Mary and some other things, and people are like, whoa, no, Mary wrote this Gospel, and really Jesus was married and had kids, and all this other stuff, and da-da-da. Despite all of that, it, here's the equivalent of that. Let's say today that I decided that I was going to write down my account. I, John Wilkes Booth, am now going to write an account of how Lincoln paid me to assassinate him. And so I write this down as John Wilkes Booth. Now, it's been 150 years since Lincoln was actually assassinated, but let's go forward 500 years, 1,000 years into the future, and somebody discovers my manuscript. And they go, what? In a minion kind of a way. What? Look at this. John Wilkes Booth was actually hired by Lincoln. The guy wasn't the guy we thought he was. You know, and you and I would go, well, that's dumb. Well, you know, apply the same level of dumbness to the whole kit and caboodle of history. So, again, what the Bible says happened, happened. And from my vantage point, it passes the litmus test of probable. Why would I say that? There are ten men, ten disciples, 
who died horrible deaths insisting that they had seen a man come back to life with their own eyes. They didn't get any riches for it. There was no gain for insisting in it. There was no advantage in life to insist those things. And now, even though in the world today we have people that will do crazy things like blow up themselves in a building because in the afterlife they're going to get a reward, well, if the guy that supposedly came back to life to give you a reward, you know, you're faking the guy's coming back to life part, you're not going to blow yourself up in a building. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, so, so what exactly did these guys see? What exactly did they witness that would cause them to be willing to suffer and die insisting that this man, Jesus, came back to life? There's a passage in Luke I want you to hear now with a different lens. You've probably read through it, but I want you to feel the impact of this morning with the words that Luke writes. He says this in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account to you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. That's a packed statement, isn't it? Luke is saying, I'm like one of these guys from ABC News that comes in with the camera. I went and I talked to all the people who were there. Oh, yeah, you know the time that Jesus healed the lame guy? Yeah, I saw the whole thing. Boy, that was funky. Let me tell you. Da, da, da. Okay, I carefully investigated everything. And then I've put this into a careful account. Why? Because I want you to know the truth of everything that you were taught about Jesus. This stuff happened. John says something very similar at the end of his gospel. It's found, um, and again, for Luke, if I can stay at Luke for a minute, Luke includes all this stuff in his gospel that if he were making it up, he wouldn't have included. Stuff like, the women arriving at the tomb first. In Jewish culture, I'm sorry, ladies, the testimony of a woman was invalid. That's just the way they rolled, I know. Okay, but the testimony of a woman was invalid. So to report that the first people to see the empty tomb were women to a Jewish audience is like, yeah, that didn't happen. But it's included in there. It's also a little embarrassing, isn't it, for Peter and John? What's your problem? How's come the women had to go in there first, brave guys? What were you so scaredy cat of? Okay, so there's that dimension too. And it's all included. The Bible's full of uh, examples of people put in very not flattering light because it's what happened. All right? John says something similar at the end of his gospel. And this is what he says in John chapter 21, verse 24. This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Okay? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is... What's the word he used? What's the word he uses here? Accurate. This is take it to the bank. This stuff happened, okay? I get bent out of shape like no tomorrow, I do, 
when I hear of friends and when I hear of friends' kids who go off to school and they come back and their mind's all fuzzy and it's like, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible anymore. Really? No, you know, I'm better than that now. Really? (laughs) And, I mean, look at the way it's presented half the time. Uh, In our culture, this drives me nuts because I was on the debate team at Wheaton. If you don't have a strong argument, you attack the person. That's what you do. If you don't have a strong argument, you attack the person. And so when I look at what's presented culturally about the Bible, well, it's backwards. We know smart people know that this is just myth. Well, what's that basically a version of? An ad hominem attack. It's saying if you believe the historical veracity of what's in the Bible, you're not smart. Well, I don't want to be dumb just because I'm from Kentucky. I don't want to be dumb. I want to be smart just like everybody else. So I guess it's just not true. That stuff in there never happened. You and I were, the Bible, one of the, one of the ways the, the Bible talks about the world that you and I live in is that you and I were born into a world at war. There's a spiritual war that goes on, okay? And that's part of reality, even though we don't see it with our eyes. And one of the chief ways that you can kind of take people out in their journey toward God is to dash the credibility of the Bible so that they get all fuzzy and, well, you know, I don't have to follow what's in there. I don't have to listen what's in there. It's full of errors. It's full of contradictions. You know, half the time it doesn't even make sense. So I'm just going to set this off to the side. And I'm a pretty good gauge. And I, I can, you know, I'm a pretty good gauge of what's right and wrong and how to make decisions and whatnot. And I'll do okay on my own. Thank you very much. At age 45, I have to tell you, that way of thinking goes to the same destination all the time. 100% of the time you end up in, oh, that was a dumb idea, Bill. <laughs> and all the grown-ups are chuckling because they kind of had little road turns of their own. And they woke up one day and they're like, well, that was a dumb idea, Bill. Okay? So, because... This stuff that's in here isn't meant to kind of keep you down. It isn't meant to ruin your life. It's designed so that you can get a picture of who God is and how you fit into his story. I had this wonderful moment with Maddie a few weeks ago. We were talking, I can't remember what we were talking about. And she was uh, 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 picking around, oh, it was about Abraham Lincoln and some other things. And so we started talking about history. And uh, I said, well, you, you know what history is, right? You know, it's his story. And she goes, oh. And I said, you know who his is, right? Yeah, God. It's God's story. It's all God's story, and we're living in it. Ding! <laughs> Seven years old. She's figured it out. It takes people several degrees to get there sometimes, okay? So... This morning, I just want you to see some passion and unction in me over what is typically considered to be a (laughs) snoozer subject, the credibility of the Bible, right? They relegate that to the class at Wheaton and Asbury that you have to take, and you're like, oh my gosh, kill me now, okay? But the Bible is credible. It's credible. It's credible in what it presents in terms of what happened. It's credible in the history that it's presenting. And when the Bible says something happened, it happened. Something happened in the backwaters of the Roman Empire in the first century. Something that changed the world 
it changed world history. Think about it. Don't you owe it to yourself to maybe read one of those four Gospels and see for yourself what it is these guys are talking about that happened 2,000 years ago that fundamentally changed human history? And even though Christianity's on the wane here in the United States, worldwide, it's doing really great. Thank you very much. Today, all over the world, there are people worshiping God and grateful because God came to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ and died and rose again. And they're convinced that he, that he is who he claimed to be. And it's been 2,000 years since. And it's not losing any steam. And when you look at the wake of what Christianity does, we've talked about this at Generations. It makes life better. King, the kingdom of God improves life for everyone. Maximum freedom is found by following God and living his ways. Maximum joy is obtained when God is the first and foremost and center part of your life. And so today, I just wanted to get you to maybe, just maybe this January, crack this sucker open. Luke, John, pick a gospel and read that gospel this month with detective eyes going, what happened? What exactly happened 2,000 years ago that got everybody going, whoa, whoa, what went on? Because, right, if God visited the planet, became one of us, died, rose again, you ought to know. You ought to know what the guy said. firsthand, not just secondhand through preacher types, but you, you, know, you ought to read this stuff. So that's my challenge. Pick a gospel this month and just plow through. And all throughout the rest of this series, you got questions, maybe some of the questions you have or some of the questions you saw in the video for the lead-in, send them to me. Call me. Um, I'm going to ho hopefully, we will collectively pick the topic that um, uh, hits week four, and you'll find out how to do that on Facebook. But again, this thing is credible. What's recorded in here is credible enough that you should take the time to see and read and figure out what's in here for yourself.